Have you heard about the new MagnaGrip Pro Nozzle? The MagnaGrip Pro Nozzle is the easiest, most advanced nozzle ever, protecting you from the dangers of diesel exhaust fumes. With its patented flex magnet technology, the Pro Nozzle easily attaches with one hand from a standing position, can snap on from any angle, and fits flush to the apparatus, saving a ton of space. A MagnaGrip is the only exhaust removal system that offers a true 100% seal. For free grant assistance and to learn more, go to magnagrip.com. Good evening. Welcome to the Women in Fire radio show. Our title tonight is going to be Emergency Management. What is it and why is it important in the fire service? Thank you to Fire Engineering for allowing Women in Fire to be part of their radio show. I am the Southwestern trustee, Lisa Baker, and a retired battalion chief. Today, I have Fire Chief Latasha Clemens, who is the Fire Chief and the Emergency Manager in Forest Park, Georgia, and Yuana Armstrong, who is the Emergency Manager Coordinator in Forest Park. Thank you so much for being part of the show. So what we're going to talk about is emergency management. And we know that the full meaning of emergency management is organized activities undertaken to prevent, mitigate, prepare for, and respond to, and recover from actual or potential emergencies. We protect our communities by coordinating and integrating all activities. So, um, Chief Clemens, can you talk about what the role of an emergency manager is, like the roles and responsibilities? Well, thank you again. Thank you, Fire Engineer, for having us. Uh, thank you, uh, Chief Baker, for hosting this radio show. Uh, you just hit a few of the highlights of the roles and uh, responsibilities of the emergency manager. Uh, but as the director of uh, the emergency management on the city of Forest Park, most certainly under FEMA's guidelines, uh, we do just that. We prepare plans, procedures uh, for responding to uh, any natural disaster or any other significant emergency uh, within our city. Uh, in addition to uh, our mutual aid partner and all of our additional constituents. Uh, for pretty much, uh, you know, we help lead response during uh, and after emergencies. That's the role. That's the highlight. It's just like uh, managing or directing the fire department. We have a bird's eye view of the entire uh, incident, which will help us align and delegate resources out. Okay. So when you mentioned um, delegate and align the resources, is that just within the fire department or is it the outside entity such like as public works or other entities within your city? It definitely includes all of our uh, stakeholders, uh, which will entail police, public works. Um, when we're talking about finance, logistics, operations, and planning, we're incorporating all of those divisions because all of those um, directors will have a role in emergency management. So when you just you just mentioned um all the responsibilities like so someone's in command logistics planning so we fill all this responsibilities that we learn about in ICS training then that's absolutely correct okay um Joanna can you talk about what emergency coordinators roles and responsibilities are and what you uh, what you have um do in the to help in the emergency yes. job. Yes, thank you for um, having us on tonight. And just to expand on what Chief said, I read something the other day that I think summed up the roles and responsibilities of emergency management as a whole really well. And so to talk about the roles and responsibilities, that would take so long. Um, but a really good way to sum it up is that we're, we're dot connectors. And what I mean by that is during a disaster response, we're working to connect the communities and their lifelines to resources so that they can regain stability, or we're working to connect the responders with the resources needed to mitigate whatever the incident is. And then during what we like to call blue sky days, right? There's no emergency happening. We're working to connect the communities together, uh, either by creating those plans that are very important to have, um, or we're conducting outreach and education activities, or we're trying to find funding to get resources and equipment so that our responders have the tools that they need. So 
in essence, we're while doing that, we're working with other quote dot connectors, being the other departments in the city and or along with the county or with the state. And together, everyone comes together and it creates like this hub where there's just a wealth of knowledge, experience and hundreds of hours of training that got involved. So really, the dot connector analogy was perfect because that's that's essentially what you're doing. Okay, so you're just basically making sure the needs of your community are met and you're assisting with the needs. So you like mentioned like when there's a disaster. So if there's obviously if there's a disaster in Forest Park, you're going to operate. Um, initiate the emergency operations center, is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. And she framed everything so perfectly. That's why she's the emergency manager. coordinator. <laughs> So you want to, so you would, so you want to, you would be the one that would coordinate getting the um, emergency operations center opened and such, and make sure that all the key positions, such as finance, logistics, planning, and such, were in place. Yes. So, well, I mean, so the emergency management director, aka chief, she <laughs> will, or her designee, because she can always designate, like say, you know, she's like, hey, you call if you want to open it. You know, if she does that, then yes. But essentially, whenever that that gets mentioned or we make that decision then we go you know do the call down initiate the tree of hey we need um xyz to come to the eoc we open it up and then we we try to make sure that they have everything they need prior to fill those positions whether it is logistics or finance and then we just start rolling off from there so a lot of it beforehand though is training to get those personnel uh, you know to know exactly what's expected of them because you don't we don't do this a lot thankfully you know we don't have to activate all the time but should we have to it, you'd want to have some kind of preparation beforehand so a lot of the coordinating happens up front before something even happens with training them and teaching them what they need to know what kind of documentation they need to be keeping track of so it's just this whole um yeah coordinating it it all and I think a lot of people think when they hear we're activating the EOC, they think that an emergency has occurred. So I know um, in my former agency, a lot of times we would activate the EOC for like a planned event, such as a parade or mm -hmm. um, we knew there was going to be a large, large scale um, civil unrest protest, so to speak, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So um does Forest Park, I guess I want to just talk about Forest Park right now. Does do they um plan for events that might happen? And would you activate the EOC? Do you have like a, a list of when you might activate your EOC if it was not an emergency? So I'll I'll go ahead and uh chime in on that one. Uh we definitely uh, are in the process or of preparing the city of Forest Park for all incidents, uh, those that we have to activate the EOC for and those that we don't. Um, all depending on the activation levels. You know, what, what is coming from the government? What is the county doing? Uh, we look at the whole uh, process of when our EOC uh, is going to be activated. Uh, you know, you have the three activation levels, level one, level two, and level three. Uh, level three, you know, you have your normal operations, your steady state. There really doesn't have to be an incident identified. Um, you look at your watches and your warnings when we're talking about tornadoes and storms. Uh, we're talking about your level two, which is your enhanced steady state, your partial activating. You know, what are we monitoring? Are we under uh, an immediate threat? And then your full activation uh, level one. You know, what resources are we using to support any significant incident? Do we need uh, our, our neighbors? Do we need our surrounding partners? Who, who's going to be involved? Who's going to fulfill those roles? Uh, then the segue to that. Once, it, once we do decide to activate it, we have to consider all the uh, emergency support functions. There's about 15 of those. Um, and the list goes on and on. And I'll segue to the uh, emergency coordinator so that she can um, share her thoughts. Yeah. So like Chief said, you know, we think of it in emergency. That's that's where we're responding to and where we're picking up the pieces, we're getting resources needed, addressing any gaps. But for the planned events that you mentioned, a lot of that is 
it's the same kind of scope as far as the situational awareness aspect of it. It's you're getting everybody there that may have to respond or may not, but you're just, you're watching everything. You're taking in all the information. So much of the EOC is, is information sharing and gathering and disseminating of that information if it needs to get anywhere. Um, so you're, you're basically making the, or hope, you know, overseeing the event so that it can go well. And that's, that's why you do that for the planned ones just, and then should something happen in an event and we hope it doesn't, then you're already there and you're ready to go. But a lot of the, the planned event is just to be there to monitor and make sure it gets pulled off, you know, without a hitch. Yeah. You're like assessing the situation to make sure if something does occur, that everything's in place to mitigate the situation. Yes. Ma'am. Uh, um, Chief, you mentioned a full activation and a partial activation. Can you go a little bit more into detail on that? And I just say that because I know my former agency, we had a lot of um, EOC activations with parades and civil unrest and such. Um, and sometimes they'd be full activations and sometimes they'd be, they'd be partial activations. So is there like a distinctive line that differentiates the difference between a full and a partial activation or is it... So sure. So, so yes. Yeah. So with your full activation, uh, you know that the the threat is immediate. Uh, you are in the thick of things. Uh, you need all your players, all your major stakeholders, to mitigate the incident, to decide the resources that's going to assist the community, to decide the resources that are going to assist the uh, incident commander that are boots on the ground to mitigate the incident. Your full activation is all hands on deck. Okay. Again, as uh, emergency coordinator said, uh, stated, when we're looking at our partial, we're just considering all the stakeholders that may need to uh, staff the EOC. Okay. So then a partial activation could actually turn into a full activation depending on what the situation is encountered that is correct. Okay. Absolutely. So do a lot of them start out then as partial activations and is the day, let's say it's a planned um, civil unrest uh, event and it's a partial activation because you don't think anything's going to go wrong. There's plans in place to make sure it, it remains civil and such. And then things take a turn for the worst and it was already a partial activation so what i'm understanding is then there's things in place already that then you just make it a full activation you just have to call in more people to make that the full activation that is part that is definitely uh, a good synopsis of when it's activated and you know again they can be the eoc can be activated for various reasons you know it's just based mm -hmm. on the needs of the jurisdiction yeah. uh the organization and like i mentioned earlier the incident commander what are the needs what are they doing out there uh, you know, it depends on the context of the threat. Yeah. I mentioned, is the threat immediate? Oh, uh, you know, what are the anticipation of the, what's the anticipation of the event? You know, um, those are all the decisions uh, that uh, that are being uh, determined on EO, EOC activation levels. Okay. What's triggering it? What's your triggering event? Okay. So what, You've guys described your your roles and such, but for the average person, is there a big difference between I get the emergency coordinators coordinating the whole event, and you're probably almost going to be the IC or or designate someone to be the IC, but you're going to have a huge role in either a partial or a full activation. Um, so what's the difference between that and a first responder? I think some firefighters um, don't quite understand the difference of what an emergency <laughs> manager does and what a first responder does and who's in the incident commanders. I mean, I was, I don't know if I want to say fortunate, but my I've been part of a couple of, actually a few, quite a few um, partial and full activations of EOCs. And it was interesting to watch the firefighters and even company officers really not understand what was occurring. So is there, how would you explain the difference between the emergency manager coordinator role than a first responder? And I, I understand chief, you are a chief and a lot of agencies do have the fire chief as their coordinator. And that might help with the streamlining of the, the difference between the coordinator and a first responder. 
So the emergency manager or the director of emergency management is just like a fire chief in charge of an organization. You have your balcony perspective. You have your springboard. Your your let's look at. I like to uh, use the synapses of an octopus. <laughs> you have your tentacles that <laughs> spread out, right? Uh, so you have your That's tentacles. Pretty good. <laughs> you have your tentacles <laughs> that spread okay. out. Uh, it's no different than being a fire chief. You direct, you prioritize, and you delegate. The coordinator has a much larger role, I think, <laughs> because he or she is coordinating the actual event, what's occurring, and executing and ensuring and assisting the director in ensuring all those processes are delivered out. Okay. So to elaborate a little bit on the coordinator aspect. Um, to put it simply, when I was a firefighter paramedic online, you know, my my focus, my sole purpose was to run that call and, you know, run whether it's suppression or an EMS scene, that was a firefighter paramedic. And I don't want to say that my focus was narrow because as a paramedic, your head is constantly on a swivel. You're taking in the entire scene. You know, you have to be taking in all of that information because that's how you prepare and, and do your patient care and all that. But it was narrow in the sense that after that call was done or after my shift was done, I was done. I was done. You know, I went home and that, that was it. I didn't think about it for 48 hours unless something happened, you know, um, as a coordinator now. I'm not just worried about the being, you know, on my shift or I'm not even just worried about the fire department anymore. Essentially, I'm worried about the entirety of the city of Forest Park, its departments, everybody that has to, you know, public works, PD. Not only that, I'm worried about, you know, the county and the state. And it's it's a 24 seven job in the sense that it's it's not Monday to Friday, eight to five. I mean, those are the hours, quote, you know, but you're you, you something can happen at any point so you're constantly watching you know you're paying attention to the weather you are watch reading the news it's so much more um that whole it brought a new meaning to me and a better understanding of of what situational awareness really is and i'm still working on that myself but it, it definitely made a it makes you look at a bigger picture as a whole. So that was a really big difference to me from going from this is my job and I'm really good at this, but when I'm done, I'm done it, to everybody. I'm, I'm worried about everybody now. So she just stated that bird's eye view um, of looking at the big picture uh, versus being in the fray. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, overall management of the incident is interchangeably between the director and the coordinator. Uh, what, re, you know, what responses, uh, what assessing incident priorities, assessing all the resources and the needs uh, for the community, what coordination efforts are we doing with our outside agencies? You know, they were thinking about demobilization of resources. It, get, mm-hmm. it, it just grows and grows and grows until this incident is mitigated, until we are able to uh, safely respond to and recover mitigate and recover and put our uh, community back into good standing. Yeah, I think that you just made a good point that once the incident's over, if you have firefighters or officers up there in some key roles, like they go, they leave, they go back <laughs> to their home or they go back to their station and for them, the emergency's <laughs> over. And I don't think that they do see the big picture that there's a lot more that still has to occur with this incident. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know the first time that I was involved in emer- the EOC, I was like in, in awe of it really. I mean, just, it was just like a fine tuned machine that, you know, you had public works there, you had the highway patrol, you had all these entities that were just working together for a common goal. And it was, um, and I, and then I would realize that, Hey, I'm done. I left, but I realized that, <laughs> That was just the beginning of the really the it was a planned event as well, but you know, you're still trying to get, you know, your your finances in, in order and you know get reimbursement for such things. So mm-hmm. that was a, a real eye-opening to me. And I and I still think that there's a lot of people that don't understand in the what emergency management actually does. I know in California, um, we have the California Office of Emergency Services, and people hear that and that they're at a fire. 
or that there um we just had heavy rains and that there were a flood and actually my neighbor asked me because he was watching the news and he said why is cal oes at a at a <laughs> flood what are they doing there are, do they like rescue people <laughs> and, and i was like well yeah they do have branches of that you know because it's so huge but i go they are helping coordinate the emergency. I mean, and, and I, I think that people, there's still kind of a misconception of what emergency managers and emergency coordinators do. Um, so when we often think of emergency management, and we might've already addressed part of this, but we think of major incidences such as like hurricanes, um, tornadoes, wildfires and such. But as you guys mentioned, it could be activated, and I mentioned it, um, it could be activated for non-emergency events. So when we do know, especially um, with the hurricanes, we know they're coming. With tornadoes, we kind of have a little bit of forewarning and such. So when there is like bad weather or something come, and you, Yawana, you mentioned that you're constantly watching the weather and stuff. <laughs> and so like if there was a a threat of a hurricane, I don't know if Georgia gets hurricanes, but or a tornado or something, um, would there be a partial activation if it was near your area or how would that work? Go ahead, Juana. So <laughs> it really depends on all the information received, right? So uh, for as far as weather events, you know, we're I'm always listening, watching the National Weather Service in the, in the city or Peachtree City is the local office and going by what they say. And then we've got GEMA, that's putting out, you know, emails and notifications with their uh, meteorologist and, and depending on how their verbiage is, you know, you can kind of, you can get a sense of, Hey, this is, this is going to be something or this might, you know? And yeah. then at that point, then we're talking to the County because we are a city. It's, it's, we're really, um, it's different for us because there's, 159 counties recognized under the state of Georgia as far as the GEMA is concerned of having an EMA. Well, there's only two cities in the entirety of the state that have their own EMA. So we're we're special in that sense. So then being that we're I'm talking to the county and saying, hey, what are you guys doing? You know, yeah. because a lot of that goes in line. So it, you're really just paying attention to what everybody else is kind of feeling. And then you just go off of that. And uh, monitoring is just a big thing. And level two, a lot of that is level two. You might just have us and public works at, in level two. It doesn't even have to be something huge. And then because you don't know, it's it's a potential for a line to come through, but it might miss Forest Park because I like to call it the Forest Park bubble. Um, we've had a lot of, we've been fortunate, thankfully. Um, but you just never know. So then should something happen in that bubble, then we're calling everybody in. Okay. So, so Chief Baker, you mentioned, um, you know, uh, uh, threats versus non-threats. Yeah. I believe that's what you said. You segued yeah. off to that? Yes. So the first thing we'd have to do is identify, is this a hazard to, to impact, a potential, a potential hazard to impact the community? Mm -hmm. Is there a risk? to the community. And then if it is, what context is that threat or hazard in? How is it gonna impact the community? Okay. So we have to look at those threats and hazards um, in consideration to saying whether it's an emergency or non-emergency. That makes sense, I mean, so does, Emergency preparedness have a big role in the role of emergency planning. I mean, we've talked about planning and activating the EOC and such, but I know like, um, I don't know if you have like a, as the coordinator, I'm sure you're like, I don't know. <laughs> do you love what, what, as a coordinator, what can you do for emergency, like plant preparedness as so to speak? So, I mean, one of the biggest ways to help the community prepare for something before it happens, it's, it's again, to make sure they've got that timely and accurate information on whatever the quote event may be. So, and then depending on that, you tailor your messaging specific for it. So for example, if we're talking about a winter weather event coming, we start preparing uh, messaging and getting information out for alternative heating methods for your home or having enough 
food, water, supplies for 72 hours or, you know, running your generator safely to ensure you don't get CO poisoning, that kind of thing. And then if something, you know, should that event really start getting close to where we're like, okay, it's not just a if, but it's a win, then we're starting to push out emergency, you know, messaging, mass notification um, so that the community is like, okay, this is real, it's coming, it's here. And we, we use various resources for that. Um, so I think a lot of people, when you think of emergency management, you think of the ones that come and respond after something has happened. But <laughs> so much, so much, in all honesty, it is 90% preparing during non-emergency. So you're, you're preparing the responders with equipment necessary to respond. You're preparing the other departments in the city with education and training. You're, you're preparing the community with, you know, education, working with um, the county and the state. Um, you're making these plans. We have an EOP, right? An emergency operations plan. Um, and that, that's not the end all be all, but that helps give you a starting point should something happen and then but they're they're living documents so you test them you train them will this work will this not work and then you adjust as necessary but I I really can't exaggerate just how important preparation is in emergency management it, it's it's vital it's key it's so much of what we do so much of what we do so you mentioned um emergency planning the EOP plan. So is that, so I know we make an emergency operations plan and such, and how often do we revise those plans or do we revise them or? Oh, yes. <laughs> You're supposed to every four years. That's like, should nothing happen and everything, your plan is perfect. Every four years, the state requires you to update it. Um, but that's not to say, again, it's living documents. So if, when you're doing your training, and you want to pick apart something and you do what your plan says, if it doesn't work, you can stop right there and edit the plan and fix it. It, it doesn't have to wait for four years. You know, you constantly are assessing it and things change all the time. New technology comes out. So, you know, you're, you're constantly evaluating the plan itself, but officially it has to be updated every four years, but it can be at any time. So you guys have both made like some really good points about emergency management. We like, and I mentioned like my neighbor was asking me why Cal OES was at the scene of a flood. And um, I, I, and I, I think a lot of people actually, I have a friend that works for Cal OES and at, when she was telling me she worked for Cal OES, I'm like, well, what do you do? <laughs> and I wasn't trying to be funny, right? I'm like, well, what do you do? And it's, and it's like, well, I don't understand what you do. And um, she was telling me that, you know, it's just like, they're preparing, they're helping, you know, to help to mitigate, like for mitigation, like so with, and preparedness, response and recovery. And it's like, you know, she was talking, I, th I thought, honestly, I'm, I probably shouldn't say this, but I thought Cal OES just went and did recovery. <laughs> I didn't know they were like, I mean, I knew they had a branch of Cal OES, like the fire department and such, but I didn't know they actually did some of the things that they did. So, I mean, when we think of like mitigation, we, I don't think we think of emergency management programs. I think we just think of the fire department's going to mitigate everything and the problem's going to go away. <laughs> so in the kind of like prevention, um, yeah, exactly. it's just like prevention. What do we, t you know, what prevention methods are you uh, sharing within your community? Uh, you know, we're talking about more than, we're, we're all hazards uh, department. So we take an all hazard, which, which means the community has to be involved in the mitigation in the event that there is a uh, a disaster in, in the in the community. And you just made a good point because with the mitigation, like like I mentioned, we have some really bad um, rain here and there's there are areas that are prone to flood. And mm -hmm. so those areas should have a mitigation plan to examine the local zoning and the building codes and such to try to mitigate any future flooding. Is that correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay which is all in our emergency operations plan and our, our COOP plan as well. Oh, listen, we're talking about cybersecurity. We're talking <laughs> about explosions. The Forest Park just went through uh, an emergency management crisis where the whole city was with it without water. Uh, Entire city. So cold here, freezing below uh, temperature where pipes were frozen. So the entire city was without water. 
So uh, at that point, we activated the EOC and start uh, bringing in the available resources to help us mitigate that that uh, incident. Okay. So like I talked about preparedness when I said that we, I mean, we mit the mitigation preparedness response and recovery. So, so we prepare, we kind of talked about preparing for uh, um, emergency. Like we, we could prepare for a hurricane. We could prepare for a possible tornado um, to some degree, I guess we could prepare for floods if we know that zone, that area is prone to flooding. Um, but for preparedness, so how, like, for, so you want to, as the coordinator, and we talked about some of the training and stuff, but do we like prepare our citizens? Like, I know we hear of um, cities have the emergent or the emergency siren and such that we're going to, mm -hmm. We test it once a month or or however mm -hmm. we're going to test it. But do we prepare our citizens other ways as well for for um events? I mean, we we think of the fire department prepares people, right? We do fire inspections, right? School safety visits and such. But I'm sure as emergency coordinator, there's some preparedness that goes into um your your role and chief's role as the emergency manager. Uh, and a lot of it is education. Um, you, you don't know what you don't know, right? So we, you go in and you find um, what, after you do your threat and hazard analysis of your community, because it's very community specific, and our community is going to be different than something, you know, four counties away. So you figure out what, what do we need to focus on? What do we need to educate our, our community on? And then you go from there, whether it's an outreach event at if the school is having something and you show up and you start handing out, of course, there's, you know, materials prepared by FEMA, but then you also give them things that they might not have thought that they needed. It's little things that trigger their minds to go, oh, I should have this in my house or I should have this in my car. And you just don't think about it. You don't think about keeping a bottle of water or a blanket in your vehicle should you get stuck on 85 for 11 hours in snowmageddon like we had you know a few years ago you just don't think about that it's random things that happen so it's the education portion is so crucial in helping prepare and a lot of times it's just getting that info out because they just don't know F funny story uh you know i'm, I'm a florida girl so me moving <laughs> to georgia uh i hear all these stories about uh possible snowstorms and things of that nature so uh, the deputy chief told me, hey, just get you a emergency repair <laughs> kit. I went to the store, got me a, a basket in the back of the trunk, got my, my toilet paper, my water, my, my wife's blanket, my pillow. Uh, so that's preparedness. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but you didn't know, but you didn't know. I didn't know. Florida. <laughs> I mean, yeah, California. I mean, it's funny because in California, we just hear about earthquakes, right? We need an earthquake kit. We need an earthquake kit. And then like with this rain, it's, and I mean, people lost power for like, I mean, I was without power for like 26 hours or some ridiculous amount of time. And oh. it's like, you don't think of things. I mean, and you're right. It's like, people don't think of what they're going to need. I mean, mm -hmm. I would never think that we would have that much rain in such a short amount of time. And there was a lot of people that weren't prepared for that as well, but um so then we talked about, and I said response. So I think we've kind of talked about this where we're going to activate the emergency operations center and put it in place and stuff and how the police, EMS, public works, and a lot of other entities would be um, there. But so if we have a response, let's say the fire department responds to a, a large incident, let's say I'll use a nursing home for an example. Um, and so we have a lot of elderly individuals that have now been displaced because of the nursing home fire. Would emergency management, would they help try to find sheltering for the victims of the facility or notify, or would you guys get involved with something like that? Or would that be like something just like Red Cross or, or something? So most certainly, you know, listen, the EOC has a significant uh, role and responsibility, not only to our internal members, but to our external uh, members as well. And that includes our community and our citizens. Uh, listen, collecting and analyzing, sharing information, uh, response and recovery include all those necessary capabilities. We have to assist our effect, uh, communities that are affected by these incidents. Uh, yes. Recovery is a major uh, piece of that. It's an important piece. We're talking about revitalization of the infrastructure. We're talking mm -hmm. about housing. 
We're talking about sustainability uh, economy. We're talking about health, social, cultural, historic, environmental. This is the fabric of the community. So you most certainly we're going to get involved and we're going to use um, contact our resources. And the Red Cross is a major, major uh, volunteer organization that will help a community of uh, citizens that uh, need a home placement or shelter. Yeah, I think that and, um, I might be speaking out of line a little bit, but I think some firefighters just kind of get blinders on their eyes. And then when you get a big incident like that, they don't really think that the EOS or emergency management resources that you have within your city, which would be your emergency manager coordinator, emergency manager, how much they could actually assist in doing some helping finding, um, excuse me, finding sheltering for victims, especially, I mean, in a large nursing home where you think there might be people um, that are non-amatory and such. So that I think that that would be an excellent resource to use because you probably have a lot of um, internal contacts as well and not just the Red Cross. So I think that um, personally, the fire, some people in the fire department don't really think of as emergency management as part of the fire service, if that makes sense. It does. I, I think a lot of that comes with, again, the training aspect and the internal training of um, what we've done in the past is, you know, we're, we're learning from and we're moving forward. So a lot of the education needs to come to our BCs, you know, to the incident commanders, because if, if they didn't in the past think to call EMAN or to, to use us as a resource, then that, that's just not in their their frame of thought because they haven't done it before. So you need to train and educate, be like, Hey, this, we do X, Y, Z as well. So please, you know, if you need, we're there, you know, if you call the EMA, some people don't quite understand um, on scene what an emergency manager does as opposed to an incident commander. If you call an emergency manager to a scene, whether it's the scene itself or the EOC, they're not coming in to take over as I see, they're, they're coming in to support the, the IC and they're coming in to uh, alleviate um, a lot of the stress and, and they're, they're finding the, re the basically the IC is like, Hey, I need, I need this to mitigate this. And then the EOC says, got it. And they'll make it happen. And then that will take the, that pressure off. And then the IC can keep focusing on strategies and tactics of right there. So a lot of people confuse the two of, oh, if they come in, they take over. That's that's not true. You're it, you're supporting the incident commander. You are supporting the incident with bringing in all these things. And a lot of that just goes back to the communication aspect, reminding them, letting them know, hey, we can do this. We This is what we do. You actually just made a good point. And I think there is that um, disconnect there when you are in the EOC and the emergency managers there and you do have an incident commander, whether it be police, fire, and their emergency uh, management manager is there and there's some kind of confusion of that they're going to now be the IC because mm -hmm. they're the emergency manager and you're in the EOC. So there's, I think, a disconnect like you just described about the disconnect of the line people with what actually occurs in the EOC and with the emergency management. It's almost like you guys are a big resource pool that has the ability to get almost anything we, necessary in, this, in an emergency when there's an emergency, either a planned emergency or something that's happened that wasn't planned. So that's why preparedness is so necessary that incorporates the training that uh, we give to all of our men and women so that they understand the difference uh, between what the EEOC actually does. And you, you mentioned it earl earlier and uh, Iwanya mentioned it earlier as well. Uh, all we do is we support, you know, resources and requests, yeah. you know, allocate and track. Yeah. Mm hmm Document, document, document. document. <laughs> so much, so much documentation. <laughs> we briefly talked a little bit about recovery. And I guess that this would probably take the longest of the, the so we activate the OC, we do um, the events over and everything. And so now we have the recovery if it was actually, let's say, a, um, I don't think you get hurricanes in Georgia, a tornado. And so... My guess is that this function would take the longest, the recovery function of the, um, for the community. Absolutely. Responses. I don't want to say easy, but the response is the quick part. You're, you're, you're pretty much done with your response within 
let's say two to three days for something like a tornado. It's the recovery portion can take months up to a year or even longer, depending on how bad something is. Um, the recovery is definitely the most time um, intensive aspect of it. And so chief, you you mentioned about FEMA earlier, um, federal emergency management agency. Um, so when we have a big disaster and you activate your EOC and such, we often hear about grants and how citizens and in, in our community could get grants to, um, is, does FEMA get involved with that or how does that work? You know what? I'm going to delve down to a first <laughs> She handles, and I have to be she handles all of our grants. And uh, we've been very fortunate to receive, I believe, one or two. Alanya, she can highlight on that. Um, so speaking in terms of a disaster, um, there are grants that are available. So let's say something happens and it hits the area and it's so bad. There are thresholds that have to get met by the state. And uh, it's typically it's a dollar amount that, that has to get uh, hit. And then they ask for a presidentially declared disaster. At that point, if that gets declared by the president, that's when FEMA opens up and um, basically is, is saying we're here to now help reimburse and get the community and the citizens of Georgia back on track. And then with that, it opens up a couple things. So you've got individual assistance and that's provided from FEMA directly to eligible families. So the community members themselves, um, whoever's you know sustained losses due to that disaster. And then on the flip side, you have something called public assistance, and that's also provided by FEMA, and that's to reimburse the entities that responded, right? So the fire department, public works, whatever they used, um, the emergency protective measures, debris removal, infrastructure repairs, which can be very costly. All of that um, has the potential to now get reimbursed should you get declared. And then another grant that's available also after a uh, presidentially declared disaster. It's called a hazard mitigation grant. And then that helps provide funding to, again, the state and the local governments um, so that they can develop, number one, the hazard mitigation plan itself, which takes a while to compile. And then um, those plans help rebuild the community in a way that it either will reduce or just mitigate future disaster loss. So Let's say if you have an area that's flown to, to or prone to flooding and you know that and something does happen and you have a plan of how to make that better, whether it's grading or, you know, damming something, um, then you request a grant to fix that because you've identified it in the hazard mitigation plan. So there's all sorts of things that can happen after a disaster. And then there's just, there's so many grants out there. It's just a matter of doing the research and, and knowing what you're looking for. So you mentioned mm -hmm. something, if you know there's an area that's prone, I'm gonna use flooding for an example, like there's an area that's prone to flooding and, and we should have known that because it's probably flooded or in past incidences and such. How about if it's an area that was is not prone to flooding and all of a sudden it's floods and so then the um, state goes to the president and he declares a national disaster and stuff through FEMA. Is there mm -hmm. anything different than that if, if because no, they didn't know it was going to flood or is it the same pretty much process? It should. I mean, I can't speak to that as far as, you know, on the federal level what they do, but I think the funding should be the same uh, in the sense that if it got declared and you need to get funding to rebuild that infrastructure, then you should be getting some funding to do that. Um, the hazard mitigation plan helps identify areas before, um, let's say, a really something that I didn't even know or think about prior to this were the the draining systems, the sewers, culverts. I never, I never thought about a culvert in my life before I went to one of these flooding classes. And there was a, we had a huge flooding event that it didn't affect uh, Forest Park, but a few of the communities nearby. And they had so many roads wiped out because culverts just gave through, you know, they had no idea. So then it was a, a substantial amount of money to fix all that infrastructure. And now they know moving forward, these, these culverts that were built in 1940s or 50s, the ones that didn't crack, 
they knew at some point they were going to crack should that happen again. So then they could get funding to fix that before it happened, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes total so sense. I would, like, I would like to add one little piece of that. Um, it also, it's also important. It helps when your uh, local government declares a local state of emergency. Mm -hmm. uh, funding depends, you know, some funding may uh, depend on declaring a local state of emergency as well. So I think we hit upon, upon this a little bit, but let's say we know um, um, an area, let's say, is uninhabitable. Um, there's a certain area that's uninhabitable. With, as a coordinator, would you work with Red Cross? It's, it's, in your, it's your own city, right? So it's probably, let's say, it's not going to be state declared uh, and the president's not to declare anything. So would you work mm -hmm. with, set up a shelter or something for the people for that day? Like we had a huge incident where there was a, a fire and Red Cross, you know, they tried to get hotel rooms, but the incident was so large. So a shelter had to be opened mm -hmm. to, to house them until more um, hotel rooms could be found. So would that be something that the fire department, your own agency would work through you to work through Red Cross? Does that make sense? I mean, it it does, it, which this is funny to talk about this. We just had a meeting um, with the county and a few uh, stakeholders yesterday about this. Um, that's been on the bucket list of things to tackle as far as a, you know, uh, chief mentioned our ESFs. Um, I believe ESF six for Georgia, it's mass care services and sheltering and all that. Well, in our EOP, quote, you know, we kind of delegate all that over to Red Cross should something happen. Well, unless it's a a fire that's displaced a family or a disaster that's impacted a community, Red Cross doesn't just put up a shelter, which right. I didn't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's certain things that have to get hit. So then you have to, we're, we're now in the process, which I mean, I'm sure they were before, but I, I've only been in it for two years, but we're working with them now to establish what what will it look like if it is local and just local? You know, mm -hmm. what can what can they actually provide for us without it being one of these two instances? And what advice do you have? Is it hotel vouchers for that moment? That's a good option. You know, is it are there identified um, structures in the city that we could use? Because let's say we've had it's been a really weird winter, um, kind of atypical for Georgia as far as we, we get freeze freezing temperatures, but not that often. Well, we had that long bout over winter for days, you know, the difference between a shelter and a warming center, for example, that's a big difference in the terminology of what that, that place provides. And so then what, what places in the city could be a warming shelter as opposed to, or I'm sorry, a warming center as opposed to a shelter and Red Cross can kind of help you delegate that. Um, but it's, that's definitely something that we're trying to tackle and that's, it's going to be a working progress, but yes, we definitely will be working alongside with them to help get these resources to the community should they ever get displaced. So there's another, uh, major organization that assists communities, uh, with their recovery efforts and that's the VOAD. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you ever heard of the VOAD, but, uh, they most certainly, um, are a huge national organization that will volunteer organization active in disasters uh, means that they are they are nonprofit and it's just a collection of other um nonprofits that will assist in recovery uh, efforts it could be churches your mm -hmm. faith-based organizations you know your community base your nonprofits uh you get all those stakeholders involved to help uh, mm -hmm. push your community back to recovery so I know, like, I don't know anything about tornadoes that much, but I know in California, we get um, wildfires. And so there are, you know, evacuation sites that someone, you could send people to if their area is going to be, you know, evacuated. You could go shelter at this school or this community event or stuff. And correct me if I'm wrong, but if my memory serves me right, we don't announce where the evacuation sites are until the event occurs because an evacuation site might actually be in the path of the wildfire or something. Does that make sense? I know once I had somebody ask me where were the evacuation sites 
And it's like, well, it would depend on where the incident was. And they thought that we weren't prepared to have, we didn't have any evacuation <laughs> because we wouldn't tell them exactly where the evacuation site was. And I remember trying to explain to this individual, well, I could tell you where it is, but that might not be where you're going to go because that evacuation right. site might right. be in the path of where right. of the incident. So for something like that, do you have like a plan A evacuation site, a plan B evacuation site that if we're like a tornado or something's going to hit and people have to, I don't know, do people evacuate during tornadoes? I, I know during <laughs> hurricanes and wildfires they do, but I don't think you get wildfires or hurricanes. So, I mean, um, a man-made disaster that's not planned. I mean, we really can't, can we, I guess what I'm trying to articulate here is, is it normal that we don't um, say where the evacuation sites are prior to the event because the evacuation site might be in the path of the event? So there's different phases uh, or stages of evacuations. Number one, you know, it, what what was the alert? What, what are they preparing for? What are the uh, evacuated areas uh, that they need to respond to? Was there an order that came down from your local government? That's going to determine whether the evacuate, whether the community needs to evacuate and then where to. So there's stages to that. But I guess, so is there, do you guys have, or is it normal for the emergency operations center or the emergency coordinator to have a list of where evacuation sites would be readily available? So you've identified within your, your own city where evacuation sites might be? No. So we're, being a city, we're small. We're we're nine point three square miles, so evacuation for us isn't quite necessarily uh, something that we're going to be focusing on. A bigger thing that we would be focusing on is sheltering and sheltering in place. And so, should something happen, where can we send the community right now to hide? Essentially, you know, um, not so much get on the road and go because we're not yeah. coastal. I mean, we've got coastal cities and they are impacted by this. So evacuation routes are huge for them, like Savannah, all that. They they have to worry about that. We're quite inland, so we don't have to worry about the evacuation so much so as sheltering in place and knowing what structures are stable enough to withstand something that might happen. So yes, we need to identify those and have those in the plan to readily alert you know hey go here if you if you can if you're outside or whatever so I, again it depends on the scale and the scope of the incident okay. are we evacuating because there is a flood or is there right you know what are we evacuating for right so you both like have talked to like a lot of roles and responsibilities that you both have as the coordinator and as the manager if someone listening or somebody has aspirations to be an emergency manager or an emergency coordinator, what kind of training? Um, I mean, I'm sure that there's constant, Luana, you've mentioned like <laughs> classes you've been at. So I'm sure there's numerous classes and that you go to daily, but how would someone go about being an emergency coordinator, emergency manager? What, what's the training involved in that? Wait, Luana. Well, um, I had no idea prior to... <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. When it was brought up, I, I have a good, you know, I've got a history as a paramedic. I've got a bachelor's degree in, in management. Like I, I had the mindset for it. I just hadn't done it. And so when it was proposed of, would you like to to do this? It's like, yeah, what is that? You know, that was my first question. Then I had to find out what that was. And um, thankfully, the the state of Georgia, like GEMA, has put together a really good program, um, the Certified Emergency Manager Program, and they have three levels. So you've got your basic, and they spell out for you every single class you need to take, whether it's online or in person. You go to all of those, then you test, and then there's an advanced portion. Same thing, they spell it out, you take them all, then you test, and then there's a professional CEM too. Um, so they they do a really good job of not only telling you what you need to take as far as these are the classes, but they also provide them. And they are all year round. They are constantly um, doing training classes. I mean, I lived at GEMA for almost the first year that I was there. If I wasn't working, I was in class. So it was they're they're offered all the time. So the options out there to learn, they're there. 
Um, so that was a really great resource for me uh, trying to learn about this. It, it was a lot of just-in-time training, <laughs> as I like to call it, because I was not only doing it, but also training to know how to do it. But it worked out really well. I mean, I, I think that I'm doing a decent job so far. So. You are doing an awesome <laughs> job. You, you know what? I was asked this question uh, at one point, and truly, emergency management starts day one. Any public safety person is technically an emergency manager because you're out mm -hmm. there mitigating an incident, you're responding to the incident, you're mitigating incidents, you're recovering from incidents. Anybody that has the knowledge, skills, and ability to effectively manage uh, an incident, to me, is an emergency manager. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of, I agree with you, Chief, on that one. Um, I think people just, they get, they hurt manager and they, they think it's um, different from the fire service, I think. As far as, like you just said, that's what pretty much the fire service does is we prepare for, educate, and we respond. The only thing, and, and we do do a little bit of recovery, I would say, as, as far as for the, the fire, the responders, um, but not on the scale that you as coordinators and managers um, do. I, I think that's the biggest thing, like Chief said, you know, we, we do that from day one, but the scale of how we do it is different, you know, whereas you were doing it on a smaller scale of focusing on just this scene or just this incident. Now you're doing it on a, on a broader scale. You're not just worried about your shift or your department, you're worried about all of it. So I think the, the degree in which you are doing it changes as you go into the emergency management aspect, as opposed to the first responder. Yeah. And it gets, I mean, we hear of ICS and how we have instant commander, safety, PIO, logistics, right. and we, we never really get into all the weeds of that as responders of the finance and the logistics and stuff. I mean, if we need something, we just call dispatch and ask them to get us something <laughs> and hope yep. they get it. But I mean, I'm sure sometimes when we're asking for something, they're probably calling you to get us something like, um, yeah, yeah. But um, does do, do either of you have anything to add that we might not have covered in this or? Excuse me. So I think we mentioned um, how does a resident prepare for an emergency such as having the emergency kit and such. Um, is there anything else a resident can do to prepare for an emergency? Oh, yes. I, I was looking over the notes. But um, as far as things for the residents, some of the ways to help notify them, I think that's also a big thing because we talked about timely and accurate um, messaging and notifications. So in Forest Park, we utilize something called Code Red. And that's it's essentially it's a mass notification system. And the community can sign up to opt in and, and receive these messages. And it's cool because it's, they call it geomapped. It basically makes a, a boundary of the area that you sign up in. And unless you're in that boundary, you're, you won't be getting alerts from four counties over. It's specific to Forest Park. So that takes away some of that notification fatigue. You don't want, you don't want to just be bombarding everyone all the time. Cause then they'll be like, I don't want to be a part of this. And then they'll miss out on something that's truly, you know, like, Hey, this is an emergency alert. So that's one of the ways that we help prepare. Um, something else that we use, it's actually provided by ring. You may have heard of their, um, their neighbor app. Um, they've also made now a neighbor public safety app. And that allows us as a verified public safety agency to post not only the emergency alerts or messaging, but we can post on there every day, anything educational, anything, you know, winter weather safety or uh, fire prevention week, anything we can, we can use that as a platform and that gets out to the residents and that's free and they don't have to have the ring cameras to have the app. They can download that on their phone. So that's been a really great resource. And lastly, like Chief mentioned, or uh, I believe you did, it was to have a PIO. We have an amazing PIO and he does such a good job of taking the information that we provide to him and send out press releases and news blasts and puts it on our social media. So all together, collectively, that's that's one of the ways that we're helping to prepare and get that information out, which is so key because that's that's a lot of times a fear of an event or something is just not knowing, you know, what, yeah. what do you, what, what's 
you know, the what, where, when, and how, what do I need to do? What do I need to prepare? Where do I need to go? Who do I need to call? Those, if you give them that information, it takes away some of that stress um, as opposed to just not knowing, you know? And I think Forest Park has done an amazing job at communication and keeping our community abreast of all that's going on in the event of an, uh, an incident or an emergency, any, any, and even a non-emergency. We do a very good job of communicating to our member, our, our constituents. That's because they have a good fire chief, emergency manager, emergency coordinator, or city manager. <laughs> it seems like you have a very good uh, team as far as the, the government and everyone else that works together for a common goal, which is to protect and provide for the citizens of your community. That Absolutely. So we're almost out of time. So I would like to thank uh, you for being part of the radio show and thank you to fire engineering again for having women in fire. Um, thanks to all our listeners and members of women in fire. And I'd like to remind you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn and check out our website on womeninfire.org. And hopefully we will see you at our one day leadership conference in April in Indianapolis. Yes, yes. Thank you for having us. I think this is a great topic uh, to cover emergency management because it's so important that our communities and our stakeholders understand the significance and the importance of how all uh, this uh, this all plays out. Thank you, for everyone. Good night.